What is up, podcast fam? Welcome back to the Energy Exchange Podcast, where I am committed to creating a community filled with more movement, more gratitude, and more joy. So thank you so much for tuning in in today's show. Now, I do have one request. As you're listening to the show, I don't want you to just let the information go in one ear and out the other. I want you to do your best to apply this information, this knowledge, this wisdom into your life. So please make the most of this time. I appreciate you so much. And one last request is if this show resonates with you, if you gain some sort of value from this episode, please, please, please leave a review in the iTunes store. It makes such a huge impact in this mission to reach more people and inspire more people and empower more people. I love you so much. Thank you in advance. I appreciate you. And I can't wait for you to dive in today's show. Let's get it. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to the Energy Exchange podcast. And man, oh man, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, I am so excited because we have a legend on our hands today. And that legend is Brandon Steiner. And I'm so excited for Brandon to share some of his story and what he's up to now. Brandon, welcome to the show. Well, nice to be with you today. I wish I was with you physically. You know, it's always nice to be in Miami, but I'm, I'm good up here in Westchester. And, uh, you know, fighting the good fight. New York at least is stable. So, um, you know, feeling good today. You know, feeling you know, feeling grateful. I love that, brother. Thanks for sharing. Um, and next time, next time when things normalize a little bit, you know, you're more than welcome. We have a beautiful studio out here in Miami, so we'll we'll make a round two for sure. I'm curious to know, Brandon, what has been a, one of the biggest takeaways? I like to call them divine downloads. During these last four months, uh, for you personally, what is one area that maybe you've addressed or something that you became more aware of? Well, I think, you know, you got to take your expectation and turn it into appreciation. And, and, you know, for me, you know, you can get into the woes me and can't believe this is happening. And this whole country is all messed up. And you get into the politics and then you get confused about, you know, the, 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 the prejudices and what's going on with black life matters. And, but you know, you gotta, you gotta really uh, alter that a little bit and make sure, you know, you have a high level of gratefulness because, you know, gratefulness will always defeat and, and, and put in perspective, you know, sometimes the disappointment and disappointment's a killer. And, you know, if everybody out there that thought that this was going to be a straight line of Shangri-La, well, maybe you realize a lot more now how Shangri-La we had it. And, and, you know, it's just like before 911, you know, so, you know, life is a series of curveballs, no question. I mean, and, and it's difficult. I mean, if not, this is always something. I mean, there's always something that's going to be an altering change or transition you're going to be dealing with, particularly as an adult. And it's not that those things ever stop. It's really just more about your mental mindset, about how you want to deal with it, prepare for it, and really embrace it. So I think, you know, you know, if you know life is difficult, you know you're going to get these curveballs. When they come, you're, you can look at it more optimistically. 
for me, my biggest mindset was thinking about what I wanted to do when I came out of this. It got a little confusing at the beginning because I, I thought it was more of a short-term play. So I was thinking, how do I want to, you know, how am I going to feel after like, you know, three months? I was thinking, gee, maybe by the summer. Now I'm like thinking, okay, well, how am I going to look come January? But, you know, for me, it's about, um, you know, healthy. You know, I want to make sure I didn't come out of this thing because you're home a lot and you're eating a lot more and you, know, you just kind of stop, you know, watching the TV. That remote is a, uh, really a, a, an incredible connection to the refrigerator and to the, uh, <laughs> you know, to the, the snack closet. So you got to be careful, but and you got to keep busy, you know? So for me, it's been a blessing because I just stopped watching the, the TV for a while. And I just started getting focused in on developing and building this new company that I started only eight months ago, uh, Collectible Exchange. And what's crazy is when we went into this thing, and I'm a pretty optimistic guy. I mean, I was, I'm fearless. I like to think. And for a little while there, I was thinking, well, maybe this is time for me to retire. You know, I left my old company, Steiner. I'm not there anymore. And that was 30 years of building that company and that industry. And I'm thinking, you know, maybe it's just time to jump off the bridge and just, you know, call it a day. And, and, and then all of a sudden I just said, wait a minute, you know, I'm not done. I didn't feel like I was done. And I, and I got to go make this thing happen. And it was really amazing. It was almost like an angel came down. It was just like, a, you know, a God message of everybody went home. And, and what they do is they went to start cleaning out their closets, their garages including me, my wife was all over me. It's like, get your room cleared out, the basement, your sports room. And so we went, you know, we have a, a, a website that's like eBay. So, you know, for collectibles and all kinds of celebrity collectibles, sports collectibles, autograph collectibles. And all of a sudden we quadrupled our volume. Like stuff just started coming in. Like it was like almost like a divine intervention. You know, here I am thinking like maybe I'm done. And within a week, it's like, bursting like our whole office if i took it to a tour is like packed and jammed with stuff that we have to get up on our site along with people being able to go up on collectible exchange and putting it up themselves so i don't know man like i, I tell people all the time like I, I you know the main thing is you know you, you can't get confused about your situation and, and you know our circumstances suck right now they're not great but you know you don't suck you know we're not we don't suck you know you, we're all pretty good solid uh, efficient, effective, lovable human beings. Our circumstances right now are a little, a little shaky, but, and, and you know, something you can rise above that. And for me, like I had that moment of clarity, went back to it. And then like within a week, all of a sudden, I just started getting submerged in with these calls and people that needed help. It was crazy. So these last four months have actually been a blessing. I love so that. I don't even know what to say about it because, you know, I feel bad. I know there's some people that are struggling. Not everybody has it this good, but I recommend everyone to really maybe get their head on a swivel. You know, stop losing the word pivot because if you didn't have pivot in your vocabulary 52 weeks a year, like that is life pivoting. That's life. Like that's business pivoting constantly, making adjustments, making changes. You need a virus to get you to pivot. You should be thinking about pivoting all the time. And as a matter of fact, this virus could actually help you turn the volume up on all that. But I think, you know, getting your head on a swivel, like realizing that, wait, wait a minute, there are some boosts to this bust. And you get away from that, I should do this and should do that to turn those shoulds into musts. So I'm like, there's a bunch of things that I really felt going into this thing that I should do when I had time or whatever. Now I turn those shoulds into musts. Mm, and I, I must do this. I must do that. 
So, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling like I'm 20. You know, I feel great. I feel like a really young teenage entrepreneur again. So grateful that I get an opportunity to start a new company again that I think is going to have some traction and meaning. And it's going to help people, you know, which is the most important thing. It's going to solve a problem. So I love it. Brother. And I and I'm so I'm, I'm so grateful that you're here and sharing your story. So there's so many places to take this. You gave me so much so much ammo. So where I'm where I'm going to take this to start initially is this recent boom. I know you're friends with Gary Vaynerchuk and he's been on this big sports card boom the last couple years. He's saying, you know, invest in sports cards are coming back. Uh, so I'm curious to know, uh, first, where did your passion for memorabilia come from? And, and then also now, where do you see that space going? And, and how have you evolved in terms of, in terms of the new business, uh, the collectible exchange? I mean, Gary's a complicated guy. He was always a collector as a kid, you know, as I was building Steiner, you know, I'm a, I'm a little older than him. You know, you know, I know it's going to sound crazy, but you know, my collectability came more from me looking at it as a business opportunity. I was a saver as a kid and I did believe in you remembering the moment. I think there's moments that matter. I think there are clearly those moments you remember and some of those are sports moments. And, and I capitalized on that. And I know how important some of those games that I went to as a kid and even as an adult mean to me. And I wanted to, I wanted to commemorate them. I wanted people to remember those. I wanted them to have something from them, whether they be replications of stuff in those games, photos or replicating the balls or the uniforms that were in them. That was a very much a part of how I saw the collectible business. And I, the real, the reality is how I saw the collectible business was as a premium on the business end where I was hiring. And I, I still market players to this day. So, you know, I help companies get players to help build their business and grow their business. So what I would do is I'd get a player, come to your company at a, at a trade show or something, you know, something that uh, from a PR standpoint, and I would create a collectible around that that would lure the media in or collectibles will leave behind for customers to, you know, to lure them to buy the product or as a deal a loader where you buy 50 cases of soda, you get a special limited edition jersey or helmet. And, and that, that's how I saw the business. Like, I, I really saw the business as valuable. I was never thinking that I was going to create a brand. Uh, I was very bullish on my authentication and on my name and what I got involved in. But I was thinking that I'd be able to help companies use the product. I was like um, American Express's, you know, the membership rewards. Amex was the first company to do it. I know you're a little young, but... Amex was the first company that said, spend more money on the card, you get these gifts. It, nobody else did that before them. And I was one of their first partners after Saks Fifth Avenue and the airlines, I convinced them to use my collectibles to redeem points. And my wife's like, they're never going to do that. Nobody's ever going to go not get a plane ticket and go buy an autographed baseball. I'm like, I think they are. And I'm going to get them to put it in every statement too. I'm going to get people to put out a billing statement, Amex, and my little offer is going to be in the billing statement where, you know, with a copy of some balls. So Amex was like my first partner on that level. And we, we sold millions and millions of hundreds of millions of points using our, our product, even though the people at Amex said that that wouldn't work. And then I took the lady to a ball game. I showed her the excitement and what it meant. I had one of the players throw us up a game, use ball. I'm like, you don't think that's exciting? Brandon, sorry to interrupt you, brother. I'm yeah. curious to know, I have to ask, what was the first autograph that you got? 
personal autograph I got that was meaningful. I mean, I got some autographs when I was with my friends. Remember, I was going to Yankee Stadium at 10 years old. Yeah. Four or five of us that were 10 yeah. on, with no adults. And that was when Yankee Stadium was Yankee Stadium where, you know, you got mugged. You know, a couple kids beat you up a little bit, took some of your money. That was kind of part of the day's entertainment. But um, I convinced my mother to go to Fenway Park when I was like 14. And uh, we got there a day early and I begged her to go to the stadium without her because I wanted to go see two games. And the first time I walk in the stadium, it's unbelievable. And I scalped the ticket, which was no big deal for me at 14. I work in that crowd, working. I got a beautiful ticket, like 10 rows over the on deck circle, the Yankee one. So Thurman Munson was warm enough for about 40 minutes. I was yelling at him, yelling at him, yelling at him. The guy didn't budge. He didn't move. I was going crazy the whole game. Every time Thurman would get off, because that was my, my favorite player, him and Roy White. So anyway, nothing. Guy doesn't even give me a, link, a wink or a look, nothing. So we go back to the hotel. I was staying at the hotel that the Yankees were staying in, the Sheridan, Copley Plaza. And uh, I walk in the elevator, and this big arm holds the door open. And he walks Thurman Munson. And he looks at me and goes, what do you want? I said, we just signed my program. And I still have that program from... Uh, I think it's 1975, the year that they went to the World Series. And beautiful wow. Thurman Munson autograph. And I just remember the impact on that. Then after that, I went crazy all over the hotel, trying to get autographs and everything. But the Thurman was my, you know, it was a, ends up being a beautiful autograph. Man, there's, there, there comes that age as an autograph seeker where it's like, you're cute. Like you're a cute kid. So it's like, all right, I'll, I'll, I'll make an exception. And then there reaches that age where it's like, all right, like just get out of my way. Some people. And I used yes to do- know, I, I think the players are in a tough spot, but you know, back then it's 1975 this was not a, a thing. It wasn't like there was thousands of people in the lobby. Like there are now. It's a different ball game, and also the players know there's a whole monetization. I like to think, thanks to me, but um, you know, there's a lot more monetization on a lot of these autographs, especially on certain items and certain things. I mean, it's an industry I'm very proud of how to part of building, and not only that, it's transferred over to other industries and other businesses, music, and there's so many people that have stolen and copied my ideas. So I'm very grateful to know that I've had a little difference in the world. It's you know, it's kind of cool. Are you the reason that, that Derek Jeter would never sign for me on the sweet spot? It was always like on the side. I was like, dang it. I just want a sweet spot by Jeter. I don't know. I, I always told him don't sign him on the sweet spot because there were people setting you up and, and there were people setting him up, but you'd have to ask him. I don't know. Um, he was a very loyal partner. Uh, we did a lot of really, really cool things with Derek and uh, very grateful for him and his family and the opportunity they gave me. For sure, man. I mean, and, and the things that some of these 20 athletes, years, man, that's 20 year relationship. It's pretty cool. That's so I was powerful. thinking about this morning. Like I was like, dang, like I was thinking about sometimes I'd sit behind a plate and Mariano was pitching and, you know, you have this relationship with the guy, like one of the greats of the greats and you actually know him and, and, you know, and then he, you know, he's pitching like, and then he ends up being like one of the greatest of all time. And that's not what I knew he was going to be at the beginning. You don't really know. Or, you know, when you, you, you know, you're friendly with Lawrence Taylor and, and you're at a giant game and you're like, now when I look back on it, I was like, I don't know why you're going through that. You're really appreciating it because you're really the responsibility and accountability when you have relationships like that are immense. I mean, otherwise you're not going to keep them. And I tell people all the time, it's like, yeah, it's great to have a relationship with them, but it's, there's a lot of responsibility. You got to provide value. You know, you got to be really on your game because there's a lot of people who want that relationship that will jump into your spot in a minute. 
And uh, so you got to be on your game. And, and it wasn't always the easiest, you know, to keep these relationships that I had. And at one point, you know, so many of them, I mean, at one time, it's quite, quite an, a, a bit of energy. I, I always tell my wife, it's like having many, many wives and, you know, the responsibility you have to marriage. But when you get in with some of these bigger names, it, it's very consuming and it could be, uh, you know, a lot of accountability and responsibility to maintain. Yeah, I'd love to. I'd love to hear, you know, as someone for myself, I consider myself someone who has built an amazing network, you know, by adding value, by by being someone people can count on and that they can trust. So I'm curious to know, how were you able to cultivate these relationships? How were you able to build that trust when there are so many people, you know, in those people's that energy field, trying to get their attention, trying to offer them X, Y, and Z. What was, what set you apart? I know it, I know it's going to sound simple, but I mean, at the end of the day, most people, when they meet somebody that has a lot, whether it be a celebrity or a really wealthy person, their initial instinct is to think what they can get from them. And my initial instinct is to think what I can give. And I think that, you know, most people just don't think about value. They want to think about, I think about value and solution is that, you know, what problem could this person have? I'm a solution-based business person. What's the possible problem this person has and how can I solve it? And value is what you can do for someone that they can't do for themselves. Regardless of how wealthy they are, rich, big celebrity, everybody's got issues and they got problems they need help with. Rather than thinking about what you can get, think about what you can solve. Think about what value you can provide. And I think, you know, people don't realize everybody wants to know, the glory here, but they don't want to know the story. And the story is like, yeah, to get Lawrence Taylor, I'm opening up his fan mail for two years, boxes of fan mail, literally one by one to see, you know, if there's anything relevant there, helping kids get an autograph, all that crap. I did that for, you know, maybe 10 or 12 athletes, helping athletes with their charities. When I met, you know, Derek, who was helping with his foundation, which was huge to him, or Mariano, same thing with his foundation. So, you know, I always tell people, like, be a solution-based salesperson and mm. to fill yourself, forget yourself. So go into relationships, not worrying about what I need, what, what you want to get out of this and really hone in on the other person and think about what they need and how you can help them get there. Nobody's, you know, nobody's just going to have a one-sided relationship. At some point, things will even out a little bit. But the, way, the best way to get things initiated with difficult people, especially, is to put yourself out there in a way that's helpful. And that provides value. I love that brother. Who was, who was the first, was Lawrence Taylor, like the first big name athlete that you really established that relationship with? Not really. I mean, I had a relationship with Lawrence before I started Steiner, just because some friends and everything, we just became friendly. And obviously he was a big name. He was extremely generous to work with me actually, because he had a million, you know, he was huge. The first one is when we snuck in a Super Bowl 21 in Pasadena, the Giants playing the Broncos, which is outrageous that we even got into the hotel and snuck up to the floor where the players were. And so we're, we're looking around. Originally, we were going to go see Lawrence, but, you know, he was busy and he, we couldn't go see him. So we went to go see uh, Zeke Moat and Joe Morris. I went to Syracuse and uh, my roommate was the fullback and Joe was the running back. So I knew Joe well. So we go in there. We were going to take those guys out to dinner. And I see a stack of messages on Joe's night table. So we're talking with Zeke, who Zeke was a character, the tight end. He was a character of all characters. The only guy I ever know that we booked for a Q&A, and he gave the answer, no comment, to five questions. Anyway, like, Zeke was hysterical. <laughs> so anyway, I go to Joe, and I see these envelopes, this stack of uh, messages from the front. 
Johnny Carson, David Letterman, uh, CBS Morning News, that we just one after the other. I said, Joe, who's responding to all this? Like, what are you doing? I goes, I can't, I can't pay attention to that. I got to focus on the game. I said, you know, I can pay attention to that. Maybe we can make some money out of this. And I hadn't started Steiner yet, but I was getting close to doing uh, starting my company. And Joe was the first guy to give me that break, kind of let me in and follow up with some of those leads and let me market them. Because he was the star running back in Super Bowl 21, and he wasn't doing a lot of marketing. So that was a good break. And really, Otis Anderson in Super Bowl 25 was another big break. And in 94, Mark Messier, when he won the Cup, was a big break that I did all his collectibles. That's how I started the collectibles and put up a big thing, put a big deal together with him, which was crazy that because he was a very difficult guy to get a hold of. Wasn't really looking to do a lot. I always say his dining room table was small. Not a lot of people sitting at his dining room table. So I really had to be, took me about six months to really get some traction and get this deal done with him. But he really gave me my first big break. So that's the, he's the guy that got me started on Steiner Collectibles, the second company I started. Mark Messier. And then I'm curious to know, Brandon, like, and I'm sure you've thought about this a lot with the landscape over the last decade, right? With the prominence of social media and how these people, these athletes can really just take ownership of their brand and really build an entire business based on themselves. And, and I'm glad that now college athletes will have that opportunity to monetize off their personal brand. Um, how do you think, I mean, do you ever think about like how things would be different if you were navigating uh, in today's era doing what you're doing? And I know you still are working with some athletes, but, but really focusing in on like that social media front and, and, and the impact that has. Well, I, I'm all over the social media front. I've been on that for about six, seven years now. I found some young kids. I, I did a couple of talks with some Generation Z summits that I was invited to, and I made a whole bunch of friends. And we've been reverse mentoring, you know, I'm helping them and they're helping me. So I really put a few young kids in my office with me for about two, three years to teach me how to get my Instagram, my Facebook, my LinkedIn. And I'm very active on social, not typically like a 60-year-old. I mean, I, I don't see it any other way where a lot of my friends really haven't dove into it, I get it. And what, what bothers me about the athlete play, now, you know, back in the day, I, I was a man of many contacts and of information and data. I would send out these surveys to players to find out what was important to them or companies they'd ultimately like to be involved with. So I had a lot of data, and I set up a database back in the early 90s to do that, which is pretty cool. But what's interesting now is that the players think because they have these big social media followings, they don't understand the brand play in there and the responsibility that comes with it. And a lot of times I'll see them, um, you know, they, I always tell them, it's like, there's a difference between, you know, posting for your friends and then understand if you have a million followers, those are not your friends. Just because you've got a million likes, it, that's not a million friends. Those are people that are believing in your brand. And if you don't stay loyal to your brand, so you'll see an offensive lineman for a football team, you know, posting a promotion for Mercedes. And probably those million people are not probably Mercedes people. Probably, you know, if you're following this big 350-pound lineman. So you got to really understand who your likes are. And you got to really understand that that brand building. And I, my, one of my big issues and one of the reasons why I'm building a whole bunch of websites for players and I'm doing the back end is that it's, 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 it's an effort to convert your social media to sales. So you can go and post and get paid for those posts because you have X amount of reach and a company just wants that connection with you and your reach. And it gives you some money. But 
but emails are still dominant. And most of the players don't have uh, websites. They don't have email bases to really monetize and set up a business or a store that they can convert their brand, their licensing to the, the people that love them and like them the most. So, you know, one of my goals is really to get more involved with that and, and really convert some of that social media to a real more retail store, to a website that really educates people about what that player is about and not leaving it to, you know, 26 syllables. That's powerful. And I, it's funny because I see it's actually a lot- not that powerful. It's just smart. I call it smartsmanship. And it really is. It's smartsmanship, which I think a lot of times people take the easy road. Yeah, you're in a locker room with 50 cameras. Of course, you can have a million likes. But what does that mean? And who are these people? And how are you addressing them is like really what's important. And most players don't have a clip. But yeah. you got to give them credit. They got a million likes, though. And not everybody gets a million people on, on your Instagram. So it's not a walking nothing. But in order to make it into a something... You're definitely going to need more than just sitting in front of the cameras and telling people and, and tweeting out cute things. For sure. And, and I have a lot of friends and, and colleagues that are in the health and wellness space and the fitness space, and they have a lot of social influence. However, like you said, they haven't really found out how to monetize it. And oftentimes what you see people doing is they'll make a post that's completely inauthentic to themselves. They'll, they'll post about a product that they've never used and they never plan on using for a couple grand up front, not really factoring in what that's doing to their image, to their trust for people being able to have confidence in that person and their message. And I think you know, as some, I'm 29 and I just see a lot of people my age and under being addicted to just these quick hits of dopamine, right? Like the instant gratification. And, and I know, like, like you said, I mean, you have built something and, and you did it from a place of like, you literally like the Drake song started from the bottom. I feel like that's been your life. And, and, and I think so many people now, just really aren't willing to put in those type of reps. Um, so well, I think this, just a comment on that for a second. Hold, take a breath, as you would say. Yeah. Listen, yes, I started from the bottom, but again, as a as a as my circumstances were at the bottom, I tell a lot of people that you know, there's a lot of poor people that start off poor, but your circumstances are poor. You're not. And that's the mistake that so many people make. Like, look, I didn't choose to be born into a, a house that was cockroach infested, three of us living in a small little bedroom on welfare with no money. I, what the hell did I have to do with that? I'm a good, deserving, loving person who, you know, tried to be the best kid I could be. My circumstances sucked. But I, mean, I was as good as anybody else on the street. I mean, I had the same talents, some better than others, some not as good, whatever. But and I think people get confused. I think starting from the bottom is not that much of a disadvantage as what people say. You know what I mean? Because I, I yeah. think we're all going to be facing adversity. We're all going to face uh, bad circumstances. The question is, what's the mental mindset? Like, I always say, and I, I, I'll say this, and I hope that if you forget everything I've talked about, just remember this one thing. It just doesn't matter where you're at. It doesn't matter where you're at. What matters is what you're willing to accept and not accept. To me, I've just had a high level of non-acceptance. It isn't about that I started off as a poor schnook living in a really small apartment over at Black Kosher Butcher. The, the reality is, is that I just wasn't one to accept it. I wanted no part of it. I didn't get angry about it. I didn't make excuses about it. I got accountable about it. And I got basically really pissed off and hostile about the fact that I don't want to live like that. 
Mm. And I did something about it. So my question to anybody out there listening is like, don't worry about where you're at. What do you, are you, are you the question is, are you accepting where you're at? Because mm-hmm. once you're not accepting where you're at and you get a little hostile and pissed off about it, now you're on your way to commitment, purpose, passion, and all those other things. And, and that's really my game. You know, I mean, I'm, I mean, I, I'm grateful on, on the life that I'm living and some of the benefits I've had, but I always reinvent this underdog mindset and it's not acceptance. I always have a high level of not acceptance because if you really want to grow, you got to have a high level of not acceptance. And if not, you're just going to end up resting. And when you rest, you rust. You know what I mean? You want to stay green so that you're growing. You probably heard that before. To me, I've always want to stay green. I always want to stay growing. I want to stay in a go forward position of non-acceptance. So no matter how good I have it, I always think I, yeah, it's not good enough. It should be better. If not, yeah. you're going to get into a level of mediocrity. Mm, yeah. And so many Americans, we settle for mediocrity. It's too comfortable, right? It's too safe. And Brandon, just to give you a little context, when I moved to Miami six years ago, there's a period where I was here and, uh, I had like $400 in my bank account and I was sleeping in my Honda CRV for like nine nights. And, and I was just, the only thing I was eating was PB and J. And, and last week I, I was really reminded of this uh, time in my life. And I went back this last week and all I've eaten this past week is PB and J just to kind of get myself back. Like I, that hunger, that, 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 that passion, because I'm doing a lot of great things. And I think this whole like stay at home quarantine thing, like sometimes it is easy to get complacent. And I'm really, like you said, I want to make sure that I don't get stuck in that mediocre, that hamster wheel, those patterns. So I'm, I'm curious to know, where did you instill that mindset from such a young age? Was it mom or dad? I think it was my mother who was always looking at, you know, the what else, what we could do better. Um, you know, you got to not be a plum, you know, poor little unfortunate me. You, you got to avoid the, you know, the, the, the turning into a fruit, you know, and there's just so many plums out there in this kind of environment. Poor little unfortunate me, they, they furloughed me. You know, please. You know what I mean? Like at the end of the day, good. You're feeling a little pressure, good. If you're probably, you know, at the end of the day, what has happened to you that's been outrageously or really good and something that's been a growth spurt? where you haven't been pushed, knocked onto the floor, or you're back against the wall. So, you know, this is just this is just an incredible push right now we're going through. But I think, you know, I saw my mother grind it out. You know, obviously my dad died at an early age, and my mother raising three kids. And I see my mother grind it out and figure her way out of so many situations by just not accepting the obvious or the easy way or the answer and always wanting a little bit more. And uh, she told me that, you know, if you work hard, and you think hard and, you know, you got to work on your relationship building, which was always a problem for me as a kid because I was a little rough around the edges. It wasn't like a natural for me. I wasn't a natural, easygoing, took me a while, but so, you know, my mom was like a, a tremendous mentor for me. And uh, I had a hat maker. I, I worked in the kitchen uh, for most of high school and college. I worked full time almost. And uh, he was a black hat maker, Alzi Jackson, who had worked for Campbell's. He was a great chef. And he had taught me a lot about life and about relationships and, about, you know, how, to, how, how important a work ethic is and what the advantages of doing what you say and making sure you do things in a timely manner. I can just do an hour on Alzi Jackson's things I've learned from Alzi. I mean, that's how much of an impact he had on me. Hell yeah, we'll do that. We'll do that round two. And I know you mentioned earlier, Brandon, that you were really 
uh, focused on honing in on your health practices during this quarantine uh, to avoid that quarantine 15. Um, so I'm curious to know, what are some of those things that you're doing on a consistent basis to keep your mind, to keep your body, to keep your soul uh, well and happy? Well, I, I think that, you know, I talked about this in my last book, Living on Purpose, is so critical is that most people don't realize we all, we're all kind of like fooling ourselves. So it's not to sound like the uh, stick song, song, you know, you're fooling yourself and you don't believe it, but it's true. Nobody looks in the mirror and goes, you know, you are really unhealthy, fat. I mean, you really don't look right. I mean, you know, at some point you got to look in the mirror and make sure you understand what you're seeing. And, you know, it's, and I'm working out with a trainer, this, that, and I just, just was really heavy, not feeling well. And I, I wasn't getting it. Finally, I woke up one day and said, Brandon, you're friends with some of the biggest name athletes. I'm going to call them up and find out how the hell, who the hell can get them in the kind of shape they're in. And maybe I can thumb off one of those trainers. That's exactly what I did. I ended up getting the Yankee trainer, uh, Dana Cavalier. He's actually down in Florida now, but he actually trained me for about four years. <laughs> I went and got the Yankee trainer. It's insane. But I did. I tracked him down. It happened to be in Westchester. I begged him. I said, look, I can maybe mentor you because he was starting a, a little bit of a business himself. So I said, I'll mentor you. I can help you with your businesses and you got to help me get right. He goes, well, don't lift the weight. Don't do anything because if you do anything right now, you're going to hurt yourself. Yeah. Which is a big mistake that a lot of people make that haven't done anything. They want to just jump right into it. And, uh, you know, you can't outwork bad nutrition. You know, you just, you can't eat. Once you're eating bad, you can't outwork it, you know. So you got to always get your diet right. And I, I know all the things that, that my body's okay with. And I know all the things my body is basically going to punish me later on for if I decide to eat. And so, you know, I try to keep things to somewhat of a, you know, a, a nice blend. And, um, you know, I think the other thing that's really critical is sleep. Mm -hmm. It's one of my big things. I'm an intense guy. I'm a go after a guy. And, you know, it's, you, you can't just work till 12 o'clock and at 12.01 go to sleep. And so, you know, going to sleep at the same time, getting the same amount of sleep every night. Um, and, and really not, I don't, I really try to be kind of careful what I do. Those first, those, few hours before I go to sleep. So come 11, 11, 15, my body's really excited because it knows it's going to sleep. It knows it's going to get to sleep. It knows I'm respecting it. I know it's put in a lot of effort for me all day. I want to repay it with some good rest. So the rest and the sleep has been a real bonus. I used to think I could just burn it on both ends, but it's really not a great solution because that energy you need, it's amazing when you're rested properly, how much more you could do in less time. 100%. I went to the sleep doctor, by the way, a guy I've been studying sleep for 40 years. So like one of my keys here is, and, and one of my whole keys is, is that, again, you just got to be a figure it out person. Like you can't figure all this stuff out yourself. And, you know, I was like, should I spend all this money? I said, so I started a pod at the time. I, I, I don't do the pod anymore. I did about, about 250 pods. But I went out and I got the most famous, in, in, incredible guests about everything I wanted to know outside of from what I knew. John Gray, how do I have better sex with my wife? How do I eat better, healthier? The sleep doctor, Michael Bruce, uh, Harvey McKay. I mean, I went all over the place. And, I, and meanwhile, what I would do is I'd invite them to New York, stay at my house, I'd take them to Yankee games, front row, spend two days with these people. You know what it costs to go see John Gray for two days? This is a guy who filled Radio City to hear him speak about, you know, men from Mars, women from Venus. And that's like the genius is like, you know, I, I, and, you know, getting younger next year, I tracked him down, Harvey Diamond, I, you know, um, I, well, I mean, I go to the bookstore, I go to the guy, 
I want the number one book that people are reading right now about diet, about health. I go get the book, I take a picture of it, and I would take me like a week, two weeks, I track that guy down, that woman down. I get a conversation with him. I'd say, I got to meet you. I think I can help you. Maybe I can introduce you to some of the athletes I know. Let's, let's collaborate. And I would get, you know, God knows how much information. And one day I'd get fully educated. Like my nutritionist, my health doctor, really, Dr. Bloom, who helped me, who's a health doctor, he played basketball. I have an indoor court at my house. I said, would you like to play basketball with me? He played with me for over three years. Every night we finished playing. I'd make sure I passed the ball a lot to him. We'd have a good run. He'd spend an hour with me. When I used to go on these meetings with him, appointments would be 15 minutes, 10 minutes. I was spending an hour with him. Took him to a couple of games, hour, hour, hour. I, I basically got everything he knows. And that's how you, you know, if you're really committed to doing something on a high level, don't go give me the 99% crap. Oh, you know, I'm 99%. No, the difference between 99% and 100% is 100%. <laughs> if you want to go and get healthy, Go to the people that know the most about health, not one person, but several. Take the best of the best of the best, put it into the pot, mix it up with some water, and there's your formula for getting healthy. And it's the same thing with if it's working out with weights or if it's learning how to, whatever you're trying to learn how to do. The problem is most people will do that with their career like that. They go to conferences, they're going to read books, but when it comes to their family, their health, their friends, how to be a better friend, how to be a better sibling, Nothing. So what happens? You turn to be 50, 60 years old. You got a pot full of money. Your relatives hate you. Your kids thought you were a decent dad. Not all that great. Your wife already left five years ago. And God knows you're 20 pounds overweight. And this is, and you wonder, well, how did this happen? This happened because you put all your energy on one bucket. And there are five buckets to be dealt with. And you got to get as serious about the five buckets as you are about the one. And then you can have, you can have it all. People always say, can you have it all? Yeah, if you pay attention to it all. So what are those five buckets? Family, you know, family, faith. When's the last time you went to church, synagogue? When's the last time you took a minute to pray, have faith? Yeah, faith is something that you believe in, you can't see. Oh, well, I don't know if I believe that. Okay, family, friends, faith, fortune, making money. It's okay to have the money grab and want to make a lot of money. That's okay, too. And fitness. Hey, the five Fs. Let's it's go. not complicated. It's not. It's really not. What up, fam? Sorry to interrupt today's show, but I am so excited. This podcast, the Energy Exchange Podcast, is something that I have put my blood, sweat, and tears into. And honestly, the best way that you can show your gratitude for me and this show is by leaving an honest review in the iTunes store. It would genuinely mean the world to hear your feedback and to support this mission. Word of mouth is my oxygen. Thank you so much, fam. I appreciate you. I love you. Let's get back to the show. Yeah, I, I love that. I love that uh, that approach you had by really reaching out to the best practitioners in their respective field. You know, I've I've been very fortunate that my dad my dad was a neurologist, so I I was always interested in brain health and how to optimize cognition, focus, and I saw my grandparents get Alzheimer's, and I was like, I know I don't want to experience that later in my life, and and 
unfortunately, like Brandon, a lot of people don't have that foresight that you talked about. And a lot of the people I work with, you know, they're in their late 30s, early 40s, and they're already struggling with low T levels. Um, Their relationships are on the rocks because of exactly what you said. You know, they, they went all in on their dreams in terms of business or fortune, which is great, but they sacrifice relationships. They sacrifice their health. They sacrifice everything else in the process. And what's crazy is it doesn't help you lead you to the thing you are focused on. Like, you know, if you do more good, not only for others, but for yourself, it'll lead you to doing more well. And most people think if I just do more well, then I'll focus on my wife more or I'll get healthier. Let me just make this a little more money this year and I have enough money. That, no, 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 no. When you do good and you focus on the doing good, it leads you to doing well. Most people have it the wrong opposite way. It's, it's insane. Now, yeah. listen, it all comes from one thing, though. Being on a high level of unacceptance, you have to wake up and say, I'm not willing to accept the way I look. I'm not willing to accept my relationship I have with my wife. I'm going to demand that it be better. I'm going to demand that I be a better parent. And that's a lot of self-analysis to go through that process and own up on it. Like, but, you know, I ask people out there, if you have kids, ask your kids, go home and say, do me a favor. Can you tell me on a scale of one to 10, what kind of dad or mom I am? How would you rate me? Ask your seven-year-old. How would you rate me as a mom or dad? One to 10. They'll tell you the truth. Just be ready for it. I love that. That radical candor. The kids don't lie. They speak their mind. They're fully expressing themselves. Have you read this book by any chance? I love your shirt, by the way. Um, Thank no, you, brother. I'm going to send that. you no, That's cool. Love the, the shirt, by the way. I love that. That's a cool book. The Way of the Superior Man. And it talks about this, it, that a man, a man's, a man's top priority should always be his mission and his purpose, right? And a lot of times relationships fall out of balance because the masculine and feminine polarity is out of balance. And I'm curious to know, you know, uh, how many years have you been with your wife now, Brandon? 32. 32. So, Uh, as someone who's 29 and I hope to be in a relationship that long at some point, uh, what are some, what are some things that you have put into place that have allowed you guys to, to last that long? And I'm assuming there's still a lot of excitement, a lot of passion, a lot of energy there. You know, listen, it's not easy. I mean, I think marriage and parenting is probably, if you think your job's hard, if you want to be a good parent and a husband, wife, that's hard. It's not easy. I'm not going to sit here and tell you, oh, 32 years, but just beautiful. It's tough. I mean, but marrying my wife was probably the best decision I ever made. Probably the last decision I ever made, but it was the best decision I ever made. But one of the things I'm very proud of in my book, Living on Purpose, is that there's a chapter on there about uh, how to improve your relationship with your spouse. And I know I'm going to give you probably the simplest little tool here, but Here's what I'll say. This is a whole bunch of them that, that are critical. And, and I went to a bunch of marriage therapists to get incredible data and feedback of the number one problems that marriages have. You know, so I've got the list. I've done blogs about it. It's probably been in the top five blogs I've ever done. I've done 3,000 blogs. The tips on marriage is in the top five. There's no question. People are dying for more data and information. Why they don't read more about it is crazy. But here's the one thing I'll tell you. When you, go out on, when you go out on date night, even if you have a serious girlfriend or boyfriend or if you're married, leave your cell phone home. And, and what I did one night is, 
because, you know, we're all guilty. You know, looking at the phone underneath, we go to the bathroom to check the emails. Even when it's on a weekend night, we don't even know why we're doing it. So one night I said to my wife, I said, honey, are you taking the phone? Because women are just always more responsible than men. So they think the kids are going to call, even though they never do call, but they think they're going to call. So I said to my wife, I said, honey, are you taking your phone with you? I'm going to leave my phone home because I want you to, I want to focus on you. I don't want to catch up with what I maybe missed during the week. So already she, I thought some, I'd taken some drugs or something. Something was wrong. But I would say to all the people out there is leave your cell phone home on date night. If I ask any of you why you work as hard as you work and why you do what you do, you would tell me you do it for your family, you do it for your wife, your spouse, you do it for your kids. And if you tell me you can't give up four hours a week of going offline so you can focus in, and especially me, I have a high level of ADHD, one of the why I work out every day. It's just more mental, you know, just to burn off some of that and get myself clear. So when I, my wife knows that sometimes during the week she's talking to me and I'm not listening. And I, I admit that, like, sometimes I'm just all over the place. And I'm not the easiest person to communicate with on a regular basis. But she knows on Friday and Saturday night we go out for dinner. She knows when we go for lunch on Saturday and Sunday, I don't take my phone. She has my undivided attention. And I'm not doing anything else other than talking about what's going on. So as frustrated as she may get on a Tuesday or Wednesday, she knows on Friday night she can get into this with me and get a clear cut answer on what's going on. And I can see her and hear her. So I would just say, leave your cell phone home a, a few times a week and watch. It's okay. That phone, believe me, whoever's trying to get you on a Friday night can wait until Saturday. Or if you come home, it's that important. You're giving your wife a few hours of undivided attention. You can always respond then. It's amazing how many people have have responded to me when I go out and speak around the country. That's one of my biggest tips at the end of my talk. And it's amazing how many people will reach out to me and go, Brandon, the last two months I've been leaving my cell phone home. I can't believe the impact it's had on my relationship with my wife. Because it really is about sharing information and seeing each other. And if you're so busy, you know, when you look down at your phone, there's not much going on, but it does sidetrack you. And it basically says, I've got more important shit going on than you. And you've got to at some point make your spouse the most important person at that moment a few times a week. If not, they're going to go find somebody else that makes them important. Yeah. And, and, and you know, it's interesting about that. I think it's the same. And I, I can only speak from being a son, not being a father, obviously, but I think it's the same with being a parent. It's like, I much rather have my dad 30 minutes full presence than him three hours where, you know, he's, he's getting paged. He's on the phone with another doctor. And, and, and I think that presence, that true connection, like you and I are doing obviously virtually is so valuable. And, and when you're able to make love in the present moment and just both be super connected in that way, I really believe as well, it's powerful. And one of the things I would piggyback on top of that, Brandon is, uh, starting off, you know, you were mentioning your evening, how you really have this kind of, I don't know if you have certain rituals, you know, at 11 or 1115 to really get you in that rested, relaxed state, but disconnecting from technology at night too, because understand that the blue light from the phone is releasing cortisol, your stress hormone, and it's suppressing melatonin. So it's making it harder to go to bed. In addition, you know, I want to ask you about this as well. First thing in the morning, 
if you're right away in react mode, checking your messages, checking social media, you're, you're, you're already behind the eight ball. So I think what you said, you know, not necessarily leaving your phone uh, aside, but turning it on airplane mode, those first 30 minutes of the day to really prioritize yourself and your well being. Um, so that leads me to ask you, what is your, what is, what is Brandon Steiner's like first 30, 60, 30 to 60 minutes look like each day? Well, if you, if you go on YouTube, you, I, I got the first 90 seconds are critical. And uh, I do a whole thing on the first 90 seconds of your day. I've been doing it for probably 10 years. So uh, you catch that on YouTube. It's a, it's a very, very important element. But, you know, I'm not a complicated. Listen, if you're in bed more than two minutes after you wake up, you're just postponing your dreams and all your hopes for you're postponing them. So you, you, may, you may want to check and see what's, what's going on. There's no reason I see people like they laid in bed a couple hours. Like, listen, every now and then, I'm, I'm, for some reason, I'm exhausted and I will stay in bed. But it's like every now and then, like maybe every couple months or once a month, maybe. But you know, I spring out of bed. I get up, bam, I'm ready to go. Uh, and, and usually my first 15, 20 minutes of the day, I, I go grab a banana uh, and I usually just trying to think about how I want my day to play out. I'm trying to think about the important stuff that's going on uh, in every aspect, not just business as much as I can. So I, I have a, a clear idea of what's happening. And then I'll go to my computer uh, about 20 minutes out and I'll just check the schedule and make sure that I understand what I'm responsible for that day. I have an easier or harder day as far as scheduling is concerned. And by seven o'clock, I go down and work out like religion, you know, usually around seven o'clock to Minimum of eight or eight thirty, depending if I have a train to come in a lift with, or if I'm going to do some basketball workouts, and I'm working out about an hour and a half, and then I pick up my day around eight thirty nine. I love it. Have you have you ever worked out with Brandon Reese? Maybe maybe once up in the Mellow Center. Yeah, maybe once or twice up in the Mellow Center. He's helped me rebound. Like I love going up there, and there's something about you know going up there and being a kid. And, and I could work out all day at the Mellow Center, but I can't do that at home. When I go up to the Mellow Center, I could, I could be in that gym four or five hours, and I don't know. I just feel like a kid. And uh, so I, you know, I've, I've you know, there was a period of time where I used to go up there every couple months and spend like a day. I just go up to the Mellow Center, spend a full day, come home the next day, boom. Uh, and work out with some of the trainers and coaches. You know, I, I, I do some mentoring with a bunch of coaches around the country and a couple of them up in Syracuse. So it's, it's fun for me to work with them and some of the kids. And at the same time, you know, I get myself you know, in a little bit of shape too. Brandon asked me to bring up this Bayheim broken hand game. Does that ring a bell? No. No? Is there, is there, one, is there one moment of 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 Syracuse hoops. I mean, obviously in 03 when they won a ring um, with Mello. Is there any moment or any team that stands out to you? I mean, so many of them. You know, my roommate played you know, with Monk and Morris and, you know, back in old Archibald. I was there for the first game at the Dome. My season tickets are right in the first row behind Bayheim. Um, you know, I think about the Final Fours, um, not only the championships, but the Final Four runs have been great. Um, I think about the last game at Archibald where I told my professor I was supposed to show a video. Now, I worked for the AD, and uh, I was showing a video for this nursing class. So I left a note for the professor and said, Dear professor, please turn the switch on, go to the wall, turn the light off. When the film is over, come back over to the machine, turn the 
machine off, go to the wall, turn it on. Um, Georgetown's playing Syracuse tonight. I had to go to the game. Hope you understand. And uh, I got fired the next day for that. But no, uh, there's no question. But uh, yeah, he didn't think that was funny. But that was like the first reality that sports is cool and it's important, but it's not important to everybody. It's a great lesson I learned. Like, you know, as much as you're into the big game and all that. And I remember going out with my wife one year. I, and I go to, I've probably been to like 15 Super Bowls. But one year I went out with my wife um, during the Super Bowl for dinner. For, I was going to miss the first half of the Super Bowl. And the restaurant was packed. And it reminded me that as much as you think the Super Bowl and all these big games and I get caught up in it being the business, there's a lot of people that, you know, live in a whole different life and sports is in everything. And it's a good thing for me to remember because sometimes you get so consumed with the big game and some of these athletes and stuff. And there's a lot of other stuff going on in the world that's equally and a lot of times more important. Yeah, I think that's well said. It's also interesting. Uh, you know, my my experience, like I was a diehard Oakland A's fan growing up. I actually worked for the team right out of college, which was like a dream. This was Mickey in Morabito. What's that? Mickey Morabito. Yeah, I love, I love that stadium. Classic. The Coliseum? This is classic. Yeah, I mean, it, it looks like they're finally, they're finally yeah. moving forward with getting a new one. Um, I mean, I have so many memories there, so I guess, yeah, I love it too. But, but I actually got fired there my first year working. Um, we don't have to get into the story unless you want to, but this was, in, this was in 2014. I don't know if you remember, but like this was when the A's were in first place, like the best record in baseball. It was Cespedes. Um, they had they traded Cespedes. Yeah, they, they jumped. For, they yeah, they, traded, they traded, traded Cespedes Ooh. for uh, who was that pitcher? Not Samarja. Yeah. They got Samarja. Anyways. They thought they needed more pitching and they, they traded Cespedes and then they, they, they crumbled. Yeah, it's crazy. Who would ever thought? But Cespedes was Cespedes was an unbelievable athlete. He reminded me of Manny Ramirez in a lot of ways. He could just do whatever he wanted, whenever he wanted. And there's only a couple of those plays that come around every now and then. Hundred percent. And and after I got fired, I was like, I was like, fuck the A's, like fuck baseball. And I kind of <laughs> disconnected myself from baseball in general. Like I, I, I had no idea what was going on. It actually turned out to be the best thing ever because I was really able to dive into my purpose and my mission and really discover like why I'm truly here. So, so that was kind of, uh, yeah, man, it was, it was definitely, definitely a blessing. Um, and that's one of the things I'm curious to know, Brandon, like now so many people after nine 11, which, you know, I know you were right there in the thick of things for that. It turned to sports as an escape, you know, especially in New York. I mean, I just remember as an 11 year old seeing those images like at Yankee Stadium, at Shea Stadium and 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 all of the emotions. And now people don't really have that escape. Like they have to face their shadows. Like you said, they have to peel back the layers of the onion. Um, um, so I'm curious to know, I mean, what are, what are maybe a couple of practical tips? I know you mentioned just like being real with yourself and taking inventory of where you're at. What are some yeah, things- I love these last few months without having the sports as such a crutch because I'm such a sports addict and I know so many people are and not, I'm not saying I don't miss sports because I do, but it's been nice to like take a break because I can get pretty caught up in watching, especially now there's so many games on. And there's so many games to go to. 
and everything's so hyped up that you feel like, oh, that's a big game. I don't want to miss it. I mean, the definition of a big game is just completely confusing. But I think there's just so much else going on, and, and I wish I could even get more into it. I wish I would have got my head more in a swivel even earlier on. I, I'm kind of bummed at myself a little bit just because, you know, I'm 60, and I've probably been to multiple thousands of games. And I know I've spent a lot of time, and now sometimes I can't remember some of the games I went to. And I wish I could have divided some of my time and attention to other important things. I mean, I, I love my career and everything, but I probably overdid it on the sports thing. And it's, it's what I did. It's what people with OCD and ADHD do. But, you know, now, the last few months, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm doing fine. You know, without all, I, I've watched a lot of great movies, documentaries, uh, read through a lot of different books. Just, it's been just more health, healthy and helpful. What are a couple of those? What I'm curious to know, like, what what is a, a book that you have gifted a lot, other than your own books, of course. We'll reference all of those in the well, show notes. Well, my book, my book, I'm giving out free on Collectible Exchange, so only through uh, the middle of August, and anybody can go on there, they can get it. The one of oh, the free amazing. books, but uh, so that's a good gift, you know. Any one of the three books free, just just pick it up, and and you're all good. But I love. I know this is going to sound weird, but I love. Um, Obvious Adams. It's a very small little book. I don't know if you ever read that, but I haven't. If you're not a big book reader, this is a great book. This is a very small book, and uh, really is a good book in this time frame because it really does explain about how sometimes some of the things you're looking for are right in front of you. And then I love Og Mandino, the greatest, uh, most successful person in the world. It's another very small book that really teaches you. I don't want to get into this whole thing about why we're all here, but it, it, I will tell you this. We're not all here just to fill up your pockets uh, and, and just to figure out how much money you can make. I mean, we're, there's a much bigger calling for all of us than that. I think he spells it out in a much more uh, easier going, understandable way. And those books have been around forever. I mean, these are, these are books that are over 50 years old, uh, that easy to read. And then, um, I like this book. I just picked it up and I'm sorry, I don't know the author. I literally just picked it up maybe three, four months ago in an airport. And it's called Transitions. And it's a guy who wrote this book, I think about 40 years ago, and he republished it. He was a doctor who studied transitions. Not all bad, good, but all, I mean, guy just got married, guy, person who, you know, a woman who got promoted, a woman who just had their first kid, uh, somebody who just got fired, uh, a kid who just graduated college. You know, there's all these transition points in our life and, and how you deal with those transitions and why you deal with transitions the way you do has a lot to do with how you were raised and how you, you saw transitions go down in your house when you were a kid. I think it's a fascinating book. It's the most traumatizing, the most traumatizing time in our lives are transitions when we go through stuff. And sometimes mentally, we actually look at our transitions improperly. Uh, and a lot of times, some of the worst things that happen to us that we see it that way anyway are the best things. Mm-hmm. And sometimes some of the best things you think are happening to you could be, be the worst things. And he really brings it up in a really incredible way where you can digest it. Because the most important thing is you taking control of your transition and transition the way you want to transition and not letting that little voice maybe get ahead of yourself, which can maybe give you false information. Great book. So those are, those are a few of them. I, I mean, if you if we were in my office at home, I literally have several hundred books. And I, like I said, I mentor and coach a lot of people. So I'm always recommending and giving books out to my clients and to friends and family because I feel it's one of the best gifts you can give. 
I love that. Yeah. And knowledge, knowledge is not, knowledge is not power, but it is potential power. If we, if we apply that information and we implement it and we execute on it. So I'm really encouraging, you know, I've take, I've taken so many notes during this, (laughs) during this conversation. So I'm just hoping that people listening and watching, don't let this shit go in one ear and out the other, really do your best. There's been so many downloads from Brandon and so much wisdom that he shared with us today. So I just encourage you take action on some of this. And, and Brandon, I want to ask, cause I checked your website out and I saw that you have a course on uh, becoming a master of negotiation. And well, it's free I was, when you go onto my website, you get, you, you get, comes to you download it. So it's, you know, I'm a master negotiator. At least I, but my mother always told me. Hey, but yeah, you're getting, you're getting people on that this, email list. When I wrote this though, and my daughter thinks I'm the biggest idiot until she has an issue that she really needs some help with. She's smart enough to go and get the, get me to help her. But, you know, your kids always think you're an idiot, but she's like that. You're ma- I, I, I sent that out to 20 of my friends. That was great. I'm like, well, that's coming from a very serious critic. So that's the thing. You go to my website when you register for the blog, which is a no-brainer. You get these 22 rules for negotiating uh, one-on-one. Awesome. I love that, brother. So we we have a lot of things to link in the show notes. We have the free book until mid-August. We have we have the the master negotiation course and then all of your other social links. I mean, you're crushing on LinkedIn. You're doing a ton of great work on Instagram. I mean, is there is there a platform? Are you on TikTok yet, by the way? Not really. I, you know, I, I love I mean, I only do so much, but I love giving away my information, my experiences and paying them forward. I'm not one of these guys that I'm not here trying to lure you into my coaching or, you know, if you like what I'm saying, if it can help you, I'm very grateful and I get a lot of joy out of it, frankly. But, um, you know, I'm one of those guys that I, I feel like I've been blessed and a lot of people have helped me along the way. This isn't like I, I, re, re, I invented everything here and, there's so many people that have blessed me and given me so much information, knowledge on a high level, as I was talking to you before. And I, I enjoy sharing it and I enjoy the feedback I get from people and I enjoy, and I randomly do help people. I mean, it's a, I'm not one of those. I, I don't, I don't, I don't discriminate who I help. I help a lot of random people. And then I have like the, the you know, the coaches and some of those things I really enjoy doing. So, you know, it's a blessing. I mean, especially I'm half illiterate. I really had a hard time reading and writing as a kid. And then here I am, you know, the chair of the Fox School up at Syracuse. And I go on a lecture. And it's just all things are funny. And I've written three books. And, and I, I take freshman English three times in college. It's just all things are hoot. If you take life too seriously, I, I, I don't know, you got to call me. I, I got to give you a little wake-up call. I love it. Hey, hey, Brandon, I'm, I'm curious to know. Um, I, I want to respect your time, but... but yeah. You have kids that I think are pretty similar to my age, right? Yes, a little Dr. younger? Right. Yeah, 29, 27. Did they both go to college? Of course. Did they go to Q's? Nope. Where did they go? Uh, they're not looking for any of my help. Uh, my son went to Michigan. My daughter went to Texas. And the kid that we adopted went to Villanova as, oh, a, wow. uh, as a Bill Gates scholar. Yeah. Okay, so... So this would be a good question to ask you because obviously right now, you know, next year in the fall, 
there's going to be a lot of schools doing e-learning. And, and I think Harvard is still charging 50K a year for doing classes via Zoom. I'm curious to know everything you know now and, and understanding how much access to free information we have from people like you, from Tony Robbins, from Gary Vee. Like, do you think college is a worthwhile investment in 2020? I mean, it's a little wobbly, I, and I understand why people are nervous about it, but listen, I, I don't let a bump on the road put me on the side of the road. And, you know, if you're going to college and, you, and you're, you're worrying about one semester, whether you know, it was worth going to school or not, then you probably didn't want to go to school to begin with. Listen, of all people, my mother told me a hundred times over, and believe me, I was in the crib, my mother was like, you're going to college. But when I got into my senior high school, my mother was like, listen, you've been working already for eight years. I work full-time in high school. So if I, you don't want to go to college, I understand. But if you want to run a company one day, you probably are going to need to go to college, maybe get an accounting degree. I think certainly to become a professional, you know, going to college, doctor, lawyer, accountant, uh, certain uh, engineers, architect. I mean, you have to go to college. So I, I, we have to take those out of the equation. Like if you want to do those things, you want to be a nurse, uh, you, know, you, you have to go to college. Yeah. But, you know, I went to school because of the people that I could meet the relationships I get, the growing up part of it, and also to test from an entrepreneur standpoint. I was an odd kid. So when I went to school, I looked at it as an opportunity to test all these crazy ideas I had and what do I got to lose? At the mm-hmm. same time, I was picking up an incredibly important education, which played a vital role for me. Even though at the time I was like, I think there's a waste of time. You know, all those accounting classes, cost accounting came in very important in the business I'm in. So I'm a pro, I'm a pro school. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a fan of taking four years and getting yourself together. Maybe the academic part of it is one part of it that sometimes is worth it, sometimes it's not. But what I recommend to a lot of kids is get your money's worth. Get the dual degree. Try a bunch of the things. A lot of kids avoid taking these extra things that are available at a school, and they just take a simple degree. Take as much as you can. Learn as much as you can. Take some pass-fails. Even some of the stupid classes I was working the AV for, how much I learned about hospital being in those nursing classes, just mm-hmm. showing those films. Yeah. I mean, it sounds stupid. You don't know what you're going to run into. You don't know who your roommate's going to be. And here it was, I ended up living with a fullback, a division one fullback. So think about the understanding I had, which I had no idea I was getting into sports about the sports business, living with an athlete and his best friend, you know, one of, you know, ends up being a pro running back for the giants. So, you know, it's four years to, grow intellectually, learn how to learn, build really solid relationships. I, I think if you can afford it, it's well worth it. If you can't afford it, I understand it, that maybe you got to do something a little different. Yeah, I think that's a good way to put it. I mean, listen, I, I don't even, I wasn't even referring just to like the, everything going on with some of the learning going online, um, you know, with social media and everything. I feel like anyone the internet doesn't really discriminate based on age, skin color, race, religion. You know, anyone can build a personal brand if they have value to add, if they have a story to tell. Can I tell you something? Yeah. I had 760 on my boards combined. I went to a pass-fail high school, and my mom's contribution to me going to college, including the spending money, was zero. Mm. I went home. I told my mom that I thought I should go to college. You know what she told me? Find the most expensive school in New York State, which that's where you can get the most amount of aid, and find the best school that has an accounting degree, and that's where you're going to apply. And that was Syracuse. 
It's a private school. I said, Mom, how am I going to get in there? She said, because nobody that's as poor as you is going to have the balls to apply. You've been working for seven years. You're the treasurer of your high school. You went to an experimental high school that was more academic, which is why you went there. You know something? They're going to be intrigued. They're going to want to talk with you. And then you got to go up there. You got to make a sale. And I did. And I'm extremely forever grateful. Yeah. Yeah. I love that, brother. I'm going to send you one of these shirts. So I'll talk. I love it. I'll talk to Barbara. Curious okay. to know, you mentioned some businesses that you were experimenting with in college. Is there any one of those that stands out? I mean, so many hustles. Some of them were not quite legal. Um, promotions. Hey, it's all good. You, know, you can yeah, share your brand. It's a safe space. Uh, you know, fraternity, sportswear, selling apparel. I got to meet every... You know, I always think it's like, look, you want to meet every girl? Work in the dining room your freshman year. I met every girl in the freaking in two dorms. And help them get the food they wanted, the no dressing, and made money. And he was like, oh, you work fresh me? I said, yeah, I work in the dining room. And I met every girl, sized up the whole situation. I wanted to meet a few girls. I saw every possible conceivable woman that worked in, and lived in any of the dorms in our, in our area. Genius. How was the talent community. back then at Syracuse? It's phenomenal. I mean, the women were great. It was great. I mean, it was the best thing that ever happened to me. I mean... Um, you know, fraternity sports, we have sorority sports. I went to sororities, girls are trying on shirts, sweatshirts, you know, I made a whole nother level of school, not only in my school, but all the fraternities and sororities in the area. I was a smart play. I cooked at a sorority. I was a weekend chef. I was a very into cooking back in high school and college. So I ran two kitchens when I was up at school and I was I actually thought I was going to be a chef. And then, uh, was the weekend cook at Kappa Kappa Gamma. I threw a, I don't know if you've ever been down to Fort Lauderdale with that button. With the wet T-shirt, wet willy. Yes, 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 contest. yes. So I created a button contest up in Syracuse because I needed to get money to go to Florida. I didn't have enough money. And I went and I had all the pledges of my fraternity. I had a competition between the three biggest schools in Syracuse to compete against each other. And I got the radio station to sponsor it. And it was wet T-shirt, wet willy. We had all these prizes. The hey. line to get in, this is when I knew I was a promoter. There's a place called Uncle Sam's up in all 2,000 people. The line to get in was thousands of people. People were pulling up and just, they knew they weren't getting in. And that was already 2,000 people in. There was probably 500 people online and people were driving up and like, we're never going to get in. Like, and that was just a, an idea I came up with. Like, I don't know. I just had a little bit of a, so many schemes and scams and, you know, it was a lot it, of fun. Brother. I, and I'm so grateful that, that, that you're sharing those and we're going to have to have a round two. I'm curious All to right. know. Anytime, final question, man, I'm around. Final question for you, Brandon. You know, uh, we mentioned, you mentioned you love, you love cooking. Uh, it, let's say you have a final supper. All right. Final supper. And you get to choose three people at that table with you. I want to know, first of all, they, they have to be living, can't be family. Um, curious to know who would those three be? And then also what would that final meal consist of? Well, first of all, I loved cooking. I don't cook anymore. It's funny. My son is an incredible chef. The three people would be Oprah, mm. Barack Obama. I like to catch up with him a little bit. I really like to get a better understanding of what's going on with him. And uh, the third one's going to be a tough one, but um, I'm going to say... Right, they have to be living. I've met so many people already, but I would say Barack Obama, Oprah, and maybe Ellen DeGeneres. Wow, a lot. You you want some humor there? Some. I feel like there would be. Uh, 
I don't know. That would be an interesting, an interesting dynamic for sure. I like those people particularly because they made such a big difference. They've had a major impact on me and they've been mentors, even though I've never met them. I, I love what they've put together and I love what they've done and what they've done, the impact that's had on people, particularly me. I've stolen more from Oprah. I probably should be in jail. And by the way, we'd serve LMB pizza, which is my favorite meal. If it was my last meal. It's the best pizza on the planet. And if I had to bring another couple of things in, I'd go to Katz's Deli, which is on hey. Houston Street and First Avenue, which is uh, some corned beef pastrami. I've been there, brother. Much love, Brandon. I want to just acknowledge you uh, for everything, for the impact that you've made in this world, for your generosity, your kindness, and your willingness to share so much information, so much uh, wisdom, so many of your stories in an authentic way. And, and I'm so grateful for you. And I, and I really hope to continue uh, getting to know you, seeing how I can support your vision in this new, this new journey that you're on. And um, I want to just finish off by giving you the opportunity to, uh, where can people connect with you? Um, I'm sure they're going to want to just do that with everything that you've talked about today. I'd say, you know, uh, you know, I do a lot of lives on Facebook or if you follow me on LinkedIn with some over the connections, message me. I answer all the messages myself. And if you go to brandonsnyder.com, you know, definitely join on my link, get the uh, 22 laws. And then if you go to Collectible Exchange, get, get a copy of the free book. I mean, any of the three books are, are gold and you know, they really are good and they really are heartfelt and very easy to digest. These are not complicated books. Uh, to give you different ideas as you can hear from this conversation. You can put these things in place. So hope you go on the website, get a free book. Thanks for having me, Mark. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Appreciate you. Any final words? Peace. Stay safe. Stay connected. Stay in touch. Love you, brother. I'll send you all this stuff, uh, stuff when it goes live in a couple weeks, okay? You got it. Thanks, man. Much love. Shabbat shalom. Please, please, please let me know what you thought. Let me know how I did. Let me know what was the biggest divine download that you had, because ultimately that allows me to be better. And not only that, when you teach something, when you share something, that means you're learning it twice. That means it's becoming a habit. That means it's becoming part of your DNA. So much love, fam. And as always, it would mean the world if you took that extra 13 to 24 seconds to leave a review in the iTunes store. It helps spread this message and reach more people. I got so much love for you, and I will see you back here for Monday's show. Peace out.